Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Weddings are wonderful things. Amen? There was a time in my ministry where I was doing a wedding or a funeral every single weekend for a period of about two years. And so we've done some really interesting weddings on the sides of lakes, on the sides of mountains, in tents, in hotels, in fields, on golf courses. Uh, I mean, you name it. And we've had some weird experiences. There was one on the side of a lake. So the bride draws up on this beautiful boat that's all decorated and she gets out and um, my wife's playing the keyboard. Beautiful music, kind of just beautiful music. And, and everybody's standing up. The bride is looking so beautiful. The groom is all in his best and he's expectant standing at the front waiting for her. It's like such a dramatic moment. I think it was sunset. That's right, sunset over the lake. And she walks to the front and she stands there. And by mistake, my wife hits a demo button on the keyboard. <laughs> and, and it was a keyboard that we, would we had borrowed. We didn't know this keyboard. And the weirdest thing was the demo. You know on keyboards, they have different tunes as their demo. The demo on this keyboard went like this. Are you really sure? And none of us knew what was happening. We didn't know what, why, where the sun was coming from or why. Who was saying, are you really sure? It was like God was saying. It was like, what's going on? Jeremiah 31, verse 3. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. It's just so beautiful. It's a God who wants intimacy and he loves us and he's not afraid to express his love. Verse 31 of that same chapter. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The picture is of them in the Old Testament having a list of rules and obligations. Their marriage relationship, because of sin, they were separated from God, and their marriage relationship consisted of a, a list of do's and don'ts. And all of us know that's not a healthy marriage. And God says, you didn't, you didn't keep that covenant, you weren't able to, but I'm going to give you a new marriage to me, where I put my laws not on a list, but in your heart and in your mind. I'm going to move you to want to serve me out of love. I've given this illustration before, but it's like a woman who's been married to a man who's very rules and, and strict 
rules orientated and he gives her a list of things every day that he wants her to do. Hoover the lounge, make the breakfast, uh, wash the clothes, do all these things. And she tries, but it's not a lot of love in that relationship. And then he dies and she meets a new man who she loves and she just doesn't have any lists of rules with him. But one day after several years of being married to her second husband, she's sitting on the couch in her lounge and she feels behind the sofa cushion and she pulls out one of those lists from her first husband. Make the breakfast, hoover the lounge, do all these things. And she looks through the list and she finds that out of love for her new husband, she's keeping all the rules and more because it's coming out of her heart. And that's what God was saying he was going to do for us. We are grafted into that marriage that he had with Israel. We, the Gentiles, are grafted in and we have a lovely, loving marriage relationship. My heart and my desire is that at the end of this sermon series, our relationships individually with God will be changed. But as a church, we will be changed. We will be more expressive in worship. We will pour out our hearts to God and we will be more passionate in serving him. Mary was um, betrothed to Joseph. And many of us in the Western world, we read that and we don't understand. Why were they betrothed, but then they hadn't slept together? And why was he so upset that he was going to have to divorce her if they weren't married yet? We don't understand this when we read that, but it's because we don't understand the Jewish culture. So the first thing was uh, a young man would notice a woman and he would get to know her just socially and he would decide that she was the one that he wanted to marry. And the amazing thing is the Bible says that God did that for you. I'm wanting to make this very personal. God did that for you when you were still his enemy. Romans 5 verse 8 says God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's the most extraordinary thing. 1 John 4 verse 9 and 10 says in this the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him in this is love not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins he looked at you friend when you were looking at other boy, other boys when you were sinning, when you were at your worst, when you were, uh, you know, all those things we don't want the world to see. God saw those things and he said, I still want to love you and, and marry you. If that doesn't stir your heart, then there's something wrong with your heart. Because God knows you at your worst, knew you when you were far away from him and hated him. And he said, I want to marry you. Hallelujah. That's <laughs> amazing. And it gives me comfort because there's nothing that I need to hide from God anymore. He knows me. Amen. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish. So that's the first thing is he chooses the, the groom. And, and please just take your cultural mindsets off for a second and imagine a different cultural way of doing marriage. In Bible times, the groom notices the, the wife and he says, that's the one I want. And then he makes a contract and he goes and he makes a proposal. He goes and he speaks to her father and to her and he proposes marriage. 
And if she says yes, a cup of wine is the marriage ceremony, along with a, a written contract of what he's going to do for her. And I'll get to the contract in a minute. But the cup of wine and the contract say we are betrothed. We're not married yet. That comes in a year after the husband's gone away and built the house and the wife has gone away and got herself ready for marriage. A year passes before the actual final wedding ceremony. But there is a betrothal which is solemnized by a cup of wine. And what happens is he gets his contract, which is called a ketubah. He writes out all the things he promises to do for his wife. He puts it in writing. And even today in modern Jewish homes, if they are Orthodox Jews, if you walk into their home, you will see a beautifully decorated um, picture frame on the wall with the ketubah of what the husband promised to the wife when they got married. He puts it in writing. He comes and he says, these are the things I'm going to do. Friends, I want to tell you that Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and the rest of the New Testament has written out for you, his bride, before you were even interested in him. He wrote out all the promises of what he's promising for you. And I want to tell you, you can stand on those promises, friend. You know, if you are, if you've lost your job, if you're struggling for money, just read Matthew 6, where Jesus says, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. You're worth more than the lilies of the valley. You're worth more than many sparrows. God will take care of you. Just seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That is your groom's promise to look after you. And he is faithful. He's written it down. And you can stand on those promises. Amen. So once he's given her the ketubah, it's very much weighted towards the man in the Jewish ceremony. He commits everything. He writes down what he's going to do. She writes down nothing that she's going to do. All she has to do is keep herself separate and pure for him for that year while he's away building the house. Anyway, they have a betrothal. And you know, you know the words he says in this betrothal. So they sit down. They've kind of agreed they're going to get married. The fathers have said yes. The, the bride and groom have discussed it. They say yes. They give the ketubah and then he gets the cup of wine and he says this. This is the cup of the covenant between you and me. With this cup, I am offering you my life. And he drinks it and she drinks it. And that, from that moment on, they are betrothed. If they're going to split up from then on, even though they've never been intimate, if they're going to split up, it has to be a divorce after that. Even though they're not living together, they are married, betrothed. You see, we don't have betrothed in our modern world. But they had a betrothal and then a marriage ceremony many months later. But when I read those words to you, did anything ring a bell? Let me read them to you again. This is the cup of the covenant between you and me. With this cup, I am offering you my life. Does that ring any bells? It should. Matthew 26, verse 28. The Last Supper, Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he says, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the many for the remission of sins. A new covenant. 
Not like the old covenant with the list of rules and laws and new covenant. And this is the cup. And Jesus drank it and the disciples drank it. And Jesus said, I will not drink wine again until you and I celebrate the marriage supper in the kingdom of God in heaven. It's just so beautiful, isn't it? Right. Then he pays a bride price. Now you might say to me, why is a bride price necessary? Doesn't this sound wrong? Doesn't this sound weird and old-fashioned, like she's my property and I own her because I bought her? What's that all about? Can I say a couple of points? Number one, it is a measure of how much you value your wife. Do you remember in Genesis 29, Jacob travels he's run away from his home and he reaches the home of Laban his relative and he sees he's got two daughters Rachel and Leah Leah he wasn't so enamored with it says she had weak eyes but I think what they were saying is he didn't like the look of her face he wasn't that keen on Leah but Rachel he loved her and he went to Laban Rachel's dad and he said I want to marry Rachel and Laban said, the bride price is you work for me for seven years. How many of us would work for seven years? And you're not married in those seven years. You only get married after you've worked the seven years. Can I say something to you? Rachel felt loved. Amen? Boy, Rachel felt loved. Leah, not so much. But Rachel felt loved. Wow, this guy is willing to work for me for seven years. Anyway, Laban tricks him. On the wedding night, it's all dark. He doesn't realize, but he's married to Leah, the wrong daughter. Wakes up in the morning. He says, what? What's going on? Laban says, I'll work another seven for Rachel. He says, fine, I'll do it. He works 14 years for this woman. That is the bride price. The first reason or benefit or blessing of a bride price is it shows the bride how valuable she is to the groom. But the second thing is that in that culture, women had no rights and no values. A man could just take a woman and sleep with her and she was considered his wife. She had no rights, she had no recourse, he could treat her however he wanted and when he didn't like her, he could throw her away. And God said, Sin, let me, let me try and explain something here. In the world of grace, you've seen me say this on the stage so many times, there's a realm called grace where there's no laws, there's no rules, it's all out of love and out of goodwill. In that realm, there's no reason to pay a bride price. But once you jump out of the realm of grace and you start sinning, laws are required to protect us from our own sin. And one of the laws is let's put a price on the wife so that the husband values her so that other people know they can't just take her and so that there are consequences if that marriage breaks up and so god often the the laws in the old testament were not god's first prize or first intention but he says i'm putting them in place because of sin to protect you did you know that so in Matthew 19, the Pharisees approach Jesus. They say, can we divorce our wives for any reason? 
He says, from the beginning, this wasn't so, but Moses allowed you to divorce because of the hardness of your hearts and because of sin. But God wants one man and one woman for life, but there were laws and rules about divorce because sin is in the world. When we're living in a sin realm, there are laws required. And now we're in the kingdom of God where we're in grace, but we're still in the world. And so we obey the laws, but they come out of a powerful energy source called grace and they allow us to obey the laws but so much more right so the first reason for the bride price that tells me how valuable my bride is the second reason is it protects us in the legal system a woman who had had money paid for her in the old testament was protected nobody else could come and interfere with that relationship she had rights and she had a ketubah written up on the wall of everything her husband would do for her Can I tell you about our bride price? You know, we had sold ourselves to sin. Adam and Eve sold themselves to the devil. God said, don't listen to the devil. He's a liar. He'll kill you. He wants to hurt you. They listened. They sold themselves. And so they got under this ownership structure where the devil was the slave, slave master. And Jesus came and bought us back from the devil's control by paying his own blood his own life friends i want to tell you how special you are god didn't just pay the minimum that he could pay to get you back god gave you his best his very own son and his son gave you his best his blood and his life he paid a price before you even were born before you even knew him when you were at your worst and an enemy of god god said i'm going to pay and pay and pay and pay until there's nothing more i can pay i'm going to pay the ultimate price to buy this bride because i want her to know a that she is valuable and b that there is a legal protection the devil can no longer come and claim her because she belongs to me and I'm praising God for that. So they're now betrothed. They take the cup, they drink it, they separate for a year. It may not be a year, sometimes it's a little bit less, sometimes a little bit more. And in that time, the bride is preparing herself emotionally. She's keeping herself pure. So she wears a veil over her face so that everybody knows she's spoken for. And that's why it says um, that Joseph was going to divorce her when he heard she was pregnant because um, it, it seemed like she hadn't kept herself pure. But the bride keeps herself separate and she prepares her dress. She prepares her dress. She gets a whole lot of her friends around and for a year they get her dress ready. The groom goes away and he builds a house. In his father's property, he builds a property for him and his wife. And when it's ready, she knows it's going to be roughly around a year. She knows the time and the season roughly, but she doesn't know the exact time. And she's waiting. And when it gets close, you can imagine the anticipation and the excitement. And she's ready every night. And her friends light their lamps every night so that it's all dark. And, and they light their lamps and they go and stand outside. Because he might come tonight and he needs to know where to come. And when he comes, he gets his friends around him. And they go off through the, through the darkness towards the house. It's a bit exciting. And then when they're getting close, the friends start shouting, He's coming! he's coming and she starts getting her dress on and they're getting ready 
I don't know if you're hearing the verses of the Bible in this. 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord will come with a shout and he'll take us up to heaven with him. Revelation 19, let us rejoice and be glad for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. White clothes, which represent the righteous acts of the saints. You know, the bride can come to the wedding after a year when the groom's been away building the house in heaven. The bride can come in her drabby clothes. And I know that God will accept me if, if I've got drabby clothes. Amen? Because that's what a kind of a God he is. If he loved me enough to die for me when I was a sinner, he will still marry me even if my clothes are a bit grubby. But he is committed. Ephesians 5 says that God is committed to washing us with water through his word to present us to him as a pure and spotless bride without spot or blemish. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2, Paul says, I have betrothed you as a chaste virgin to somebody else in marriage to God. There, there is this thing of let's, you know, we could come dressed poorly, but let's do everything we can to look as good as we can for our husband. Amen. Let's do it. I mean, we've just got a year. We've just got a short period of time. Man, let's go all out. Let's pull out all the stops. Let's do as much for him and to get our hearts as pure and as ready and as clean for him so that when we go into that marriage supper in heaven, we can rejoice and boogie as much as we can. Rather than being a little bit ashamed, oh, I could have done more. Amen? Let me read Revelation 19 to you. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Friend, I've just got one question for you. Have you ever watched those YouTube videos where a, a groom proposes to a woman in a public place? Have you ever seen those? So a lot of them are out of America where at halftime in a basketball match, the, the husband will either in the stands where they're seated or he'll go out onto the court with the television cameras on him and the whole crowd watching and he'll kneel down in front of this lady and he'll hold out a ring and he'll say, will you marry me? Have you seen those? And I've often thought that's unfair on the woman. <laughs> What, what do you think? I think it's unfair, especially if they're not that close. I mean, it's kind of like, whoa, it's a bit extreme, a bit manipulative. And, and he's putting himself out there in a vulnerable position, and she now has all the power. She can say yes or no. You know, in Bible times, 
different to every culture in the whole world at that time, the bride was able to say no. When the bridegroom took the cup and he sipped it and he said, this is the new covenant, I give my life for you, she had the right to say no. It wasn't an arranged marriage system. She had the right to say no. And I want to say to you, God values you so much that even when you were his enemy, he died for you, he paid the price for you, he wrote the covenant that he was going to give to serve and, and look after you. And he makes a proposal. Jesus' life on earth and his hanging on the cross was a proposal to you. He's putting himself out there publicly in front of everybody, in front of the whole world. He's saying, will you, not, not you as a mass of humanity, you, will you take me in this covenant relationship, a new covenant relationship? Will you? And if you haven't responded, you are not betrothed to him. It's not enough to say I was born in a Christian country, I was born in a Christian family, I went to a Christian school, I got baptized as a child, I got confirmed as a teenager. That's not enough. He is proposing marriage to you. Can you see the love in his eyes? Can you hear the love in his voice? Can you hear the commitment of his heart? He's saying, I'm proposing marriage and you have to say yes. And Romans 10 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you say, yes, Lord, he says, right, now a covenant is made. We drink the cup and we won't drink it again until we drink it in heaven where there's this massive party. And then we are truly one. Up until then, we are one in mind and heart and emotion and we can communicate, but we're not truly one until the marriage supper of the Lamb. And in the in-between period, all we have to do is keep ourselves separate, pure, not let the world draw us away from our husband. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.